0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's really, really cool to be together this morning. We're going to read scriptures, Galatians chapter 4. There's 12 verses. We're going a little bit back in time. If you were here last week, Quentin leans into Galatians 5. But I want to give us one last salvo from chapter 4 before we move on. The scripture will be on the screen now. Now, there we go. Just before we read it, the reason we stand is just I want to encourage you this morning to posture your hearts in a, in, a, in a posture of participation. We're not here to spectate. We're here to participate with the Word of God because that's the thing that changed our lives. Not a hyped up redhead, not a good sermon, but the Word of God will change our lives if we lean in with faith this morning. Are you okay for that? Let's do it. Let's read Scripture. It starts off in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says this. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Next slide. Brilliant. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And there's some other verses at the top. It's not fitting. I'll read it from the Bible. Of course, you don't have the right translation, (laughs) Quinton. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brother and, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your, your word. We, we stand not just physically, but God, with our, with our spirits postured with expectation at your word this morning. I thank you, God, that we would not be hearers, but people who do it who apply what you say to our lives this morning. I thank you, God, your word breaks the, the, the hardest chains. You set the captives free. Would you do that in every single heart, every thinking, every mind today? Would you set us free by the power of your word? And I thank you, Jesus, that our hope is built on you and not the stormer's performance. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. It's really good to be together. Why don't you take a seat? It's a good thing I watch golf. One South African did well yesterday, Brandon Grace. Did anyone see that? Oh, brilliant. Love it. Love it. It's amazing. Anyway, as I said, my name is Gabe Phillips. I come from a family of five. We are the party of five, not the 90s TV show, but the real thing. And uh, I come from a line of the youngest of three boys. I've got two older brothers and growing up in Zimbabwe, where, where heroes were, were few, they were the ones that I wanted to be like. They were the coolest cats in, in, that I knew. When, no matter whether they came home, they told me that string vests will always be a thing. I believed them. When they told me that InSync will be the best band you'll ever hear, I said, I know it. I believed it. When they told me that the song Informer will always be a cool song, I said, no doubt and I was referencing the band at that time as well. I was a 90s kid who was so, so caught up with how cool my brothers were that I did whatever they did, I did. Wherever they went, I wanted to be. I was that irritating little brother who followed them around so much so that I went to sporting events after sporting events at my brother's high school way before I was even there. And uh, what, no matter what it was, whether it was cricket, whether it was rugby, whether it was hockey, I was there. And even into house sports. And our school, a uh, boys' school, was about 1,500 boys. And the inter-house sports was a huge thing. So we signed up. We were excited, family. Not much going on. We didn't have much TV in those days either. So we played any sport. So one day, they announced at school for my brothers that uh, they needed somebody to run the 5,000 meters at the inter-house athletics day. My brother, not really a runner, didn't have the runner's physique. But he he put his hand up. We're in for everything. So he said I could run the 5,000 meters. I, his younger brother, believed him, and I backed him. And I was there at at the starting line ready to cheer him on to victory this is my brother. He can do it. So the day arrived, the exciting day arrived. I was there with expectation in my heart. My brother got there at the 5,000 meters. And 5,000 meters, just to let you know, it's a long way to go. It's 12 and a half times around the track. 12 and a half times, 13 and a half. They don't measure your track correctly. But anyway. But what happened was the 5,000 meter race is also the race that usually happens that goes on in the background where, where others don't really pay attention to the last real lap, you know, because there's other things going. On. It's quite a boring slow journey. But this time was different because Simon Phillips, my brother, was running the 5,000 meters. Had he run it before? No. But I believed he could do it. I believed in him. And that moment came where that, that, that gun was about to go off. And as the gun went off, all the eyes turned onto the starting line for the 5,000 meters, probably for the first time. Because out of the blocks burst forth a man named Simon Phillips, at the rate of knots, putting Usain Bolt's 100-meter uh, starting block burst to shame. I don't know what was going on in his head, but it was probably a combination of chariots of fire and eye of the tiger, you know? Tun dun dun, dun 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 eye of the tiger. It was all happening in there, and he went, and he was going, out of the blocks. The other guys didn't even start. They're like, this is amazing. We've never seen a guy start this fast. And I was beside myself. I thought he's gonna break the world record. This is gonna be incredible. And I'm running alongside, trying to keep up. He's gone, whoop. and the crowd. The first Ben comes. Simon's there. Whoop. He's already 100 meters ahead of everyone else, and the people are bemused, what is going on? But the crowd rise and cheering, cheering his name, Simon, Simon, and, and Simon gives a, a royal wave as he runs past, and all his girlfriends are on the side. He's amazing. And I'm like, this. who is Usain Bolt? Who is Usain Bolt? Have you met Simon Phillips? And he did the first lap was spectacular, probably a record for the first lap of 5,000 meters. The crowd went wild. The second time around, the second 400 meters came, and Simon's eyes were a little bit wilder. The veins were popping this time. The royal wave was now just a little casual flick. As though The pace kept up, but he kept going, and the crowd were cheering even more. The third lap... Unfortunately, it was a little bit too much for Simon Phillips. And as he came around the bend, this if a sniper took him out in the back, as the stitch hit, and Simon just fell in dramatic fashion, and started crawling and pointing for water, and the other runners slowly came jogging by, what was that about? And uh, as his number one fan, I literally thought he was dead. There's this young 10-year-old running onto, with flaming red hair, running onto the field saying, He's dead! Stop the race. He wasn't dead. We, 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 besides the mirth that was going on in the crowd, we pulled them out. We nurtured them back to health. And Simon is okay. All right? He's all right. I know some of you are worried. He's okay. But that day, that story will always re- resound in my, in my memory for one reason. is the fact that at that moment, I believe Simon became the epitome of human nature. He became the very essence of who we are as people. That as the great theologian Lady Gaga once said, I live for the applause. I live for the applause, applause. I live for the way you cheer and scream my name, applause, applause, applause. Deep words, deep words. (laughs) But it's the very truth of who we are that actually, whether it is from we are, we are living in our very, who we are. Whether it's the applause of a father, whether it's from the applause of a teacher, a spouse, a friend, a boss, a pastor, we long to hear somebody clap and cheer and say, Well done, you are doing well. We love, want somebody to validate our efforts, somebody to, to say, You're amazing, you're doing well. We live for this applause, it's in our hearts. A man, a man named Robert Capon, a theologian and writer, wrote this. He said, The greatest temptation in life. Is to think it is by further, better, and more aggressive living that we can find life. I, I want to make a confession this morning about myself, but I believe it's the same of your hearts that I am addicted to performanceism. Don't even know if it's a word, but I know it's in here. I'm addicted to performing. Maybe you're the same as me that we're addicted to living for the applause of others. And when we fail and don't meet the grade, we fall for its uh, its twin counterpart called the. The addiction of pretending that we're performing. You know that one? We're either trying hard to get the applause, and when we're failing, we, we try and just pretend we're doing well so that people keep applauding. And we put on a mask. I live, if I'm honest, I live, and I, and I think it's, it's got me quite tired at times. And I want to tell you that I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted of trying to make you think that I am better than I am. It's a tiring game trying to make other people think that I am better than who I really am. I live to be right. I live to be rewarded. I live to be respected. I live to be right, to be rewarded, to be respected. I live to be right, to be rewarded, to be respected. I want applause all the time. I want people to think, Gabe, you're amazing. You're doing well. Martin Luther said that this thinking that's in the heart of every man has crept into our theological understanding of God. And we start to Martin Luther called it a theology of glory. That we think that God responds in the way that we do. That God is the one who meets us at the top, Martin Luther said. God meets you at the top. God meets you in your strength. God is for the competence. God is for the overcomer. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't agree with this understanding. You see... The Bible tells us that it's foolishness, not common sense, that God meets us, not at the top, but bottom in weakness. God meets us at the bottom in weakness. It's foolishness. Why? To us who have bought hook, line, and sinker, thinking that our actions determine our worth. It's foolishness that we think actions determine our identity. You know what happens? Is that Christianity actually has become, and a lot of us live like this, and I know I do time and time again. That's why I need the Word preached to me. That's why I need to read the Word and believe it. Because I believe that Christianity is, all it really is, looks like most of the time, is a glorified behavior modification system. Come and make Jesus will make you slightly better than you were before. And we live like this. We live like Little kids going, He loves me, He loves me not. He loves me, He loves me not. Whether we're doing well, He loves me. Yes, I did well today. He loves me. Cheer for me. The next day, He loves me not. I've got to pretend. I've got to try to keep it's tiring. And we pray that we land on that day when, as I've said before, when that bus that preaches love, the bus that hits you and kills you, you praying that I hope I land on He loves me. Because God forbid if he lands on the other one. And people live with this in their hearts. And I want to tell you this morning, my my job, what I'm convinced that I am called to do. My job here, number one, I have become so convinced as a preacher. And your job as preachers in your city, and your jobs in your workplace, your family, as pastors of your homes, your job is not to defend the church. My job is not to defend the church. Do you know that? I'm not here to preach and tell you that we need to have a cause, and the cause is not the church. Can I tell you how I know? Before I was born, the church was carrying on. The church will carry on after I die. The church has, had, has been tried to be put to death by Nero, by, by Caesar. The, the Christians were thrown to the lion's den. They tried to crush out Christianity time and time again. But the church keeps going. Caesar's dead. Nero's dead. But the church keeps going. It doesn't need me to defend it. It's not my job. I want to tell you again. My job, number two, your job, is also not to police people's sins. How boring a job to get up and say, what a terrible job. That's sin. No, that's sin. And pastors spend years doing this and sell books doing it, telling us a different type of sin that we need to overcome. It's not my job and your job to do that. I have one job. You have one job, and that job is to do this, is to announce and proclaim the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, and I want to tell you this morning, maybe you're here, and you've been running fast, like my brother Simon. You've been running fast and hard, but you're feeling your leg's starting to get a bit wobbly. You're starting to lose a little bit of courage in all your efforts, and you're not too sure of actually, what am I building here, What is happening in my life? Or maybe you've collapsed and you actually say, "I've got no strength, Gabe. I've under no illusions, I'm finished." Everything's just bottomed out. My my divorce finally went through. The business is tanking. I've got nothing in the bank. I've got no emotions to go on. I've collapsed. Or maybe you're here and you've collapsed internally, but you're just pretending everything's good. I'm fine, brother. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. But going home with emptiness inside. I want to tell you this morning, I pray that this word will bless you and will encourage you and strengthen you if you respond with faith. It's good to see you. Wonderful. God is two words to mankind. We're going to go through this very quickly this morning. God, as in the scope of Scripture, God is basically two words to mankind. His first word, the first word that God speaks to mankind is His law. I want to open that up very quickly this morning. We've been doing that in the series. But God's law that He speaks to mankind, I want to tell you very quickly, we're under no illusions. The law is holy. It's righteous. It stands firm. It will endure forever. The law of God. Can I tell you, Galatians? Paul and, and us as preachers, we are not. Our job here is not to trash the law. We're not trying to trash the law. Paul didn't do that once. He didn't try and tarnish the law. What he was doing was showing the correct purpose of the law. You get that right? You see what can happen is you can have something that is amazing, but if it's used wrong, it's no longer amazing. If for a stupid example, if there is, if I had a spade. It's the best, sharpest spade to dig holes. It's amazing. But if I start using it to beat people on the head with, no longer amazing. It's not doing what it was created to do. Stupid example that falls short at a number of levels. But the law, Paul is trying to show us what was the purpose of the law. And when I say what the law, I want to just be honest. I'm not speaking only about the Ten Commandments, I'm also not speaking about the, the Mosaic Law, the 600 other laws that go along with that. I'm also speaking about the notion that resides in every one of our hearts that if I do this plus this, it will equal blessing from God. That's what Paul was also going after. That's what we've been going after. That if we say, if I do this and if I don't do this, it equals blessing from God. We've been going after all those types of equations that live in our hearts, that live in my heart, that rear their head every now and again, that I have to beat into submission through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we are convinced that it's Jesus plus nothing. That equals everything. I want to tell you Galatians 3 verse 19. If you want to know what the law's purpose was, Galatians 3 verse 19. It's a verse just before the one we read this morning. But it tells us so plainly, so clearly the purpose of the law. Paul says this, why then was the law given? Good question, Paul. He answers it. He says it was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. You know what the purpose, chief purpose of the law was? It was to show people that they had fallen short. We said it again and again that the law is like a glorified MRI scan machine. You know MRI scans? You go in, you say, actually, I'm feeling really sore. My body is tender. So you go into an MRI machine. You go in, and the MRI comes out and tells you, actually, your left vertebra is broken. That's why you're feeling pain. The problem is a lot of people, if you go into the MRI machine thinking, actually, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to come out, and I'm going to be better. Then the problem is that the MRI machine says, I can't do that. The machine was designed to point out your sickness, not to heal you. The MRI machine was pointed there to point out your, where you are feeling bad, so it will drive you to a doctor who can make you well. People, if we think that we can go into an MRI machine and say, actually, but let me, I want to stay in there for six hours. If I say the six hours, maybe I'll start to do something. It's not designed to heal you. It's designed to point out what is wrong with you. You see, this is the actual understanding. If you want to know, basically, he has great theology for you. The law's job was to stand tall and tell you, you can't do it. That's what the law's job was. Matthew chapter 5 and 7, there's a great text where the man named Jesus Christ comes, and he, t- he preaches this thing, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, famous sermon, and he starts to preach this sermon that started to get people a bit riled up, so can, the, he starts going, he says, listen, you have heard it said, and he starts to quote the law, that if you commit adultery, it's bad, and everyone goes, yes, you have heard it said that if you, if you, that if you murder someone, bad, everyone's like, yes, adultery and murder, and all the front row in that, in that sermon, I can imagine going, amen, murder, bad. Adultery, terrible. Get those adulterers and murderers, Jesus. Good. Good. Preach it to them. And then Jesus says, well, I tell you that if you have looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. He said, I tell you, if you've said idiot or fool to your brother, if you've had anger in your heart to your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. The front row got a little bit quiet. Oh, he's just a carpenter. Just a carpenter, this guy. He goes on and starts to say, and actually he pushes it even further. Jesus says, Listen, actually, if you have if your left eye has caused you to sin, pluck it out. He said, If your right hand has caused you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better to go into uh, you're better to go into heaven with missing one eye, one hand, than go to hell with both arms and both eyes. Everyone's and everyone's like, What the heck's going on here? Jesus is taking the law and putting on steroids, raising the stand even higher. Now, here's the question I want to ask us. We, we honest people, Are we? hopefully, most of us. I look around this morning, I did a quick perusal, and I didn't notice many one-eyed or one-handed people here this morning. Did anyone, did anyone I miss? Sorry, if you did, I apologize, but really good. Okay, no, not that many. Here's my presumption then. Jesus, we like to take Jesus seriously. What he says goes, basically. So either there's a lot of amazing people here who've never used their eyes to sin, never looked at anyone lustfully, never looked at terrible things, never done anything bad with their eyes, and actually there's some some people here who have never done anything vile with their hands, never done anything underhanded, then actually you guys are amazing, you should be preaching. Or, or, you're all a bunch of liars. We've got to have, we've got to find one other thing. What do we do with Jesus when he says this? We got to do something. We can't. Oh, I don't like that one. Skip that one. We have got to do something with it. Here is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was going gunning after a bunch of people, who had started to make their lives. They said actually they were making a religion and they were making a living off the fact they could peddle the, this religion to people that, that if you do this plus this, it'll equal blessing from God. And Jesus came and said, actually, you read the law that way, but I want to tell you the law is actually a higher standard. And Jesus raised the Lord to such a high standard that every single one of them said, actually, none of us can do the limbo underneath that. We're out. Jesus came to prove that the law could not heal them. Law was, the law was given to drive them to a savior. It was always given to push people towards God, not away from him. And here's the understanding is that the fact that the law was given to bring us to the end of ourselves. God's office is at the end of our rope. This morning I want to tell you the law produces sorrow at the revelation of sin, but has no power to remove the sin. The law accuses you, but it cannot acquit you. The law crushes you, but it cannot cure you. The law defeats you, but cannot deliver you. The law exposes you, but cannot exonerate you. The law makes you face your sin, but cannot forgive you. The law will kill you, but it cannot make you alive tell you what the law does. The law puts you on a treadmill and says you're weak and imperfect and tells you run faster, run faster, run faster. See what happens? Is the Corinthian church hear this? They hear the message of Jesus Christ. They, they get so excited and they go, this is amazing, that's so good. That means if we have Jesus, that means we can carry on sinning. Because he's done everything. Yeah, so they go, their equation is Jesus plus sin. Paul goes, by no means, you've missed it. The Galatian church that we've been saying, they go, yeah, 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 that's good, Paul. I'm glad you're giving it to the Corinthians because we want to say Jesus plus just a little bit of moral code. Just a bit of circumcision, just a little bit of uh, holy days and festivals. Keeps people in line. And they, Jesus goes, no, you've missed the point. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing. Not your sin. Not your license, not your legalism, it's Jesus only. Put both hands on me. Because do you know why? Galatians 3 verse 10 says it this way. It says, those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Harsh words. For the scriptures say, curses everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's law. Verse 11 says, it is clear no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Here's the the thought that Paul's saying. He's saying, if you want to live by the law, you will die by the law. If you're trying to attain to that mark, and he's the Lord saying higher, further, faster, and you'll spend your whole days doing it, but never reaching the mark, always coming short, because the Lord's job is always to tell you, you missed the spot. You missed the spot. And you say, but I've done everything. I've done everything right. You missed the spot. It's like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. A young man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do for eternal life? And Jesus, going knowing the man's heart, says, keep all the Ten Commandments. And the young guy goes, I've done that since birth. I'm in. I'm in. And as he's, up, he's like so stoked. Jesus says, oh, oh one other thing then. Give everything you have to the poor. He said, the, the man went away sad. What was Jesus doing? Was Jesus telling us that actually to get, to get salvation and eternity and security with him, follow the Ten Commandments, plus give everything to the poor? No, he wasn't driving that. He was driving at this young man's heart. This man, young man's heart could not fully embrace it was Jesus alone. You have to hold on to a crush to keep working at it, to keep going at it. And, and something, God gets into this heart here. Here's the incredible secret for you and I this morning. The God's second word. He gives us the law which tells us you can't do it. He gives us the second law, the second word, which is His goodness, His grace. Jesus, the final word from heaven. Jesus is the final word from heaven that Jesus is enough. God sends Jesus, and this is what He says. He says, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Here's my thinking this morning. Thank you for sticking with me. Is I think a lot of us here in this room will probably be comfortable with the notion of me saying Jesus has paid for all your past sins. Most of us go, Amen. That's cool. Most of us will probably be comfortable with the notion of say. And if you die today, you'll go to heaven if you believe in Jesus. Amen. Eternity, cool. We're okay with understanding that all our past sins are forgiven, and that our eternity in heaven's okay. But we think in our heads that Jesus is standing for this little brief 70 years, 80 years if you're lucky in the middle, standing over us with the whip saying, come on, work hard though for me. I paid for that. I paid for that. But actually now for this 70 years, you've got to work hard, boy. There's some skewed thinking in our head. Skewed. Thinking our head, we've got to understand that this for this understanding now is to know the now power of the gospel. Not just what it did before our sins, nor what it do for us in eternity, what it does for us now in this life, right now, as you and I sit and stand in this moment. And I think the problem for us as Christians is we've got the two wrong. We've got we've swapped the root for the fruit. We've taken the things that Jesus said that would be the fruit, and we've said, No, that's what we need to do. So Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll have you'll you'll you. You'll you'll obey me. We're like, that's amazing. So we said, so does that mean I I need to obey him to follow him? Obedience is a result of following him. It's a fruit. But we we turn around, we make it into a requirement. Repentance, prayer, all of these things are fruit. You You cannot repent unless the Spirit of God lets you do it. You cannot you cannot, cannot pray unless the Spirit of God, you cannot pray with confidence unless the Spirit of God says, Abba Father inside of you. God gives those to us as a fruit, not as a requirement. But we like to put it and says, I've got to pray, I've got to repent, otherwise I can't get any blessing. Let me tell you, grace inspires what the law demands. The law prescribes good works, but only grace can produce them. The scripture tells us this in Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, comma. For those who walk in the spirit, comma, and those who do not put their trust in the flesh. If you want to walk with no condemnation, you've got to walk with the spirit, but don't put any confidence in the flesh. The word flesh can be transposed for the law. Paul uses them interchangeably. If you want to walk with no condemnation, we've got to say death to the law. Death to this requirement living, this, pl- this plus this equals this type of living in response to God. Death to this living for applause to in, in our relationship with God, understanding that he has said it is finished. One of my favorite scriptures uh, and stories in the Bible is found in John 8. There's a, a woman who's been caught in adultery. Caught in the sin of adultery. And uh, my brain goes wild when I read this because I go, how do you catch someone in adultery? There had to be a whole lot of peeping toms there. <laughs> we got her. Come like weird, weird guys. These religious guys. Religion makes you do weird things. Legalism makes you do strange things. We've got to look in and catch people doing... Anyway, just my thoughts. So they catch her doing this, and they drag her before Jesus. They say, Jesus! They're like, we got him. We got Jesus now, because now we're going to expose Jesus. Jesus, oh, everyone loves Jesus. We're going to get him now. So they throw the lady in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, this woman's been sleeping with a man who's not her husband. The law of Moses says we must stone her. What must we do? And they're like... Jesus won't go against the law, because then he'll be seen as a her- her- heretic. He won't, abu- if he abuses her, then everyone's going to go, oh, he's not so cool anymore. Back, we've got Jesus. Come on, got him. And Jesus, who's not threatened, who's not uh, ashamed, he's not stressed by our sin, he's not anxious about our sin, not to, re- oh, I don't know what to do in this moment. Jesus, cool and calm as ever, bends down in the dust and starts to draw in the dust. We, we don't know what he wrote. We don't know what he drew some people said maybe he wrote the sins of every single one of them around them because he knows their hearts. Who knows what he did? But he starts to write in the dust and then Jesus straightens up and says, cool, you're right. That's what Moses says, the law says. So he says, whoever has got no sin, go for it. He stands back and they all look awkwardly. It's like one of those awkward moments where there's no music playing. It's just... And the Bible says one by one, starting with the older, going to the younger, maybe the older a bit more sharp focus, but they they start to drop their rocks, and they they turn their backs grumbling, and walk away, because they leave her. Then Jesus goes back, starts drawing the sand, looks up, no one's left, so he says to her, woman, where are all your accusers? She goes, they've all left. And he says to her, okay, so if they don't condemn you, neither do I, go sin no more. Here's the thing, if I was Jesus, and thank God I'm not, for all of our sakes, I would have gone, listen, girl, we dodged a bullet there. I did some hectic lawyering there. Thank goodness I watched Suits last night because uh, Harvey Specter did a really cool thing. I'm like, whew, we're lucky. Okay, but listen, girl, last straw, eh? Don't go and sin anymore, and then I won't condemn you. That's what I would say. But Jesus doesn't say it in that order. He gets up and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus' grace empowers her. It's not now a requirement for her to get the no condemnation. His no condemnation given to her is now allowing her to go and sin no more. He is setting her free from the addiction and, and, and the prison of sin. Not saying you work your way out the prison, then I'll stop you, then I'll forgive you. He says, I'm forgiving you, and that's going to empower you to stop living your sin. That's the gospel. That's good news, people because this is the problem that I have in my own heart, and I believe we do as a humankind altogether, is that we have made the blessings of God conditional. We've made the blessings of God conditional. Can I tell you, I'll say it again and again, He's Father God, not the Godfather. He doesn't say, come, let's make an arrangement. You do this, I'll do this, then I won't put a horse's head in your bed. No, He says, actually, I'm Father God. What is mine is yours. He's our Father. And that tells you, this is the good news, actually. The Father goes so much so to show us that we have everything, that He tells us actually that the blessing of the Father is Jesus Himself. He gives us Himself. He says, if I give you myself, how much more will I give you everything? Jesus is the blessing of the Father. And this is why I hate and abhor the prosperity gospel. Do you know why? The prosperity gospel is actually just a legalistic thing in a cover that says, if you do this and this, then you will get blessing. If you do this and it twists scriptures to make it and sell books and to make us think that if we do stuff and get us back on the treadmill, cool, then I want blessing. I want to take you off the treadmill, rip it away and say that is false. That is pseudo gospel. Let me tell you why. And I believe this so much as well in the moment is that actually even the thing of saying that if you tithe, you'll be blessed. What, what God are we talking about here? I'll tell you why. Because it makes out that God is a pauper. That God is in need of your money. Please give, guys. Sheesh, the city, the gold streets are looking a bit tatty. I need to do some renovations. I need the church to give a bit. No, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is not in recession. He'll never be. He doesn't need our money. But here's the thing. He knows that we need to give. Tithing is not a requirement from God. It's a gift for you and I to live free not by the idol of money. It's a gift. I give because I have been set free. I give because I have been blessed. Not trying to bargain with God. If that's your level, you are making God into some low, low person. And he's much higher than that. Let me tell you, Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus raised the bar so high, so high, that only one man could make it through. Jesus raised the bar so high. He said, actually, it's so, so high. He said, why? Because only Jesus can make it through. Jesus is the perfect obedience of the Father. He's the only one who could tick the boxes of every single level of the law and fulfill the law. He said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled it completely. Every jot and tittle. Every single purpose. And so, so much so that he says, it's no longer a righteousness required. It's a righteousness supplied. This is the good news for you and I. I want to tell you again and again that because of this notion that we, have, we now live under open heavens, we live under the blessing of the Father. We sing a song in the 90s. We used to love it. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. I don't sing it. Well, I've changed the words. Why? Because in our heads we suddenly think that if we sing open the floodgates of heaven and the bland play louder, come on, we're praying for breakthrough. Open the floodgates. If we sing louder, then God will hear us then we suddenly think that our worship gets the blessing from God. So I saying, no, you've opened the floodgates of heaven. So my worship is now in response to a generous Father who gives. A generous Father who's for me, not against me. These are the things that we have to understand, you and I, that actually the worship doesn't open the heavens, our prayer doesn't open the heavens, our tithing doesn't open the heavens, our, 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 our generosity doesn't, our attendance doesn't. The blood of Jesus did. It's the only thing that opened the heavens. And if you say, Gabe, you're making light of sin, I say, no, 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 sin was a huge deal. Sin was such a huge deal that God had to die for it. But if you say now that you can add anything to his perfect sacrifice, you're the blasphemer, not me. If you come saying, Gabe, don't make light of sin, I want to add a little bit of what I need to do, i say, no, sir, you're blaspheming because you say Jesus is not enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. This is why Paul in Galatians was angry, because there were people who were seducing a people away from his son, Jesus. And Jesus is beautiful. Take your hand off your sin. Take your hand off your legalism. Put both on Jesus. Jesus plus nothing. I want to tell you this morning as I bring it to land that cheap grace isn't the problem, but rather cheap law. Feel greasy grace. I've never heard anyone here say that greasy law. Because the notion that God accepts anything except the perfect sacrifice of Jesus is the blasphemy. Cheap Laws is the problem. We think that we can do it. You can't. I want to tell you this morning, your identity is in His strength, not yours. It's in His performance, not yours. It's in His perfection, not yours. It's in His righteousness, not yours. This is the good news. It's not good suggestions. It's not good hints, helpful hints for daily living. This is good news proclaimed that it is finished. Open gates, run on in, take hold of him with everything you've got. Still good news to the poor, still good news to the broken, still good news to the blind, still good news to the hungry, still good news to the captives. And I am in need of that good news every day because I'm tired of running on my own strength finish with these scriptures. Isaiah 61 on the screen. Scripture that we probably might know is well known if you have been in church circles for long, but this word says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against the enemies. Cool scripture. Let's go to the next one. Luke chapter 4. A man named Jesus we've been talking about he arrives and this is what happens. He arrives at uh, the temple and he, uh, and he unrolls the scroll and this is what he reads. Reading from the prophet Isaiah the same scripture we just read. He reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see that the oppressed will set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He's left something out. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to it and sat down. He said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, Jesus left something out from the scripture he quoted. Isaiah 61 tells us says that the day of the Lord's favor come, come, and the day of our vengeance of our God, the anger of our God. But Jesus says, no, no, it's full stop after the day of the Lord's favor. At this, he rolled up the scroll and said, today this is fulfilled. Jesus left out there that God, the anger of God. Why? Because Jesus was saying, I'm the one who fulfills that. I'm the one who fulfills the anger of our God. I'm the one who turns aside his wrath. Can I tell you something that's so good this morning for you and I? The bar was so high. That this man named Jesus came and he lived 33 perfect years. He obeyed, he said yes every time you and I would have said no. He said no every time we would have said yes. He was perfect in his obedience. They said, Pilate said, I could find no fault with him. Satan said, I can't, left him to tempt him at another time because he he kept on. He he thwarted the enemy, he thwarted the the humankind. He obeyed the Lord every single level. He performed so perfectly and yet he died. And Galatians told us he became the curse. The sinless one went into the cage of legalism, fought that battle and said, it is finished. I did not abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Yes, 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 done. Then he goes into the pit and the swamp of the curse and he becomes the curse. He becomes our sin. The one who should never have gone in there. The only one who didn't have to go there, went in there on our behalf, became the curse. So that we could become the righteousness of God. And can I tell you, when Jesus Christ, on that day, when He said, It is finished, He died that death, and then He ascended the hill. He ascended the hill and the the throne room of God, and He went up the steps, and then He banged on the door. He said, Who? He banged on the door that had been shut to mankind for centuries, for years, for millennia. And the angel said, Who is this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? Who dares, which man dares come up here and knock on the door of heaven? The Lord. Jesus breaks home and says, I am the King of glory, the Lord, strong and mighty. I am the one who was and is and is to come. Behold, I hold the keys of life and death in my hands. Jesus says, I am the ultimate. I'm the one who went into the grave. I'm the one who conquered it perfectly. And at that moment, all of heaven fell down. And they said, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that moment, applause started to ring out. As all of heaven, all the elders, all the creatures, all the living creatures, all, all the every being that was and is and is to come cheered and said, Holy, holy, it's Him. He's the one. He's the object of our affection, the object of the obedient one who became the curse, who has now become the blessing and has opened the way for the sons and daughters to come to the Father. Applause rang out that has not stopped since. So much so that Scripture tells us that when one sinner who deserves death repents and puts their trust in Jesus alone with trembling hands, says, I'm off the treadmill, I'm trusting Jesus, it says all of heaven roars with applause. Applause says, yes, Jesus. Because Jesus is the blessing of the Father. Jesus is your access to the Father. Jesus is your hope for a future. Jesus is the one who rips the treadmill away and says, Will you trust me completely? I want to pray. Father, this morning, as we hear your word, as my heart beats with a passion for your gospel, as my heart beats for a passion for your son Jesus, pray that you start to warm our hearts right now in this place where we've settled for a pseudo-religious activity of trying to obey and trying to keep the law and we get tired. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we're falling apart. Maybe we're trying to keep up the facade, but today we say, I'm tired of pretending I'm going all in on Jesus. I'm going to believe the word of God. I need this every day. I need this. I need this. This is for my soul. you need to respond to Jesus in this moment, just say, actually, I want the applause of man and the lure of trying to please people and try to appear better than I look. I want to drop that and pick up the, the gospel call again. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've done this many times, but say, again, I want to take Jesus seriously. I want to hold on to him. Let go of my sin. Let go of my legalistic living and put both hands on Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. We we'll would love you to stand with me. I'm the first person standing, if I'm honest. Stand, and i love to pray. Father, as your sons and daughters respond, I thank you in this place, would your word stir up a love for your son, Jesus. Stir up an affection. We turn our eyes on Jesus right now. We turn our eyes on Jesus, not not because of any other reason, but because he is worthy. Jesus, the only one who saves, the only one who redeems, the only one who blesses, the only one who gives us a future, the only one who holds our lives. I pray right now in Jesus' name, we surrender our hearts to you, Jesus. Jesus can you lift your hands? And we call on your name right now, Jesus. We call on your name in this place. We are people who are not up for formulas or rituals. We are people who say, Jesus, we want you alone. Jesus doesn't look at our efforts and go, ah, look at him making effort. No, he, he looks at the, the heart of our efforts that says, I actually trust my efforts more than Jesus. It's not about stopping. It's about saying, Jesus, I want to put all my trust in you. How am I going to make it, find love for my wife, my spouse? How am I going to find love, courage to walk this walk? How am I going to do it? It's Jesus, sir, ma'am, Jesus. Father, right now we respond to Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come, the perfect son of God. We're people who've nailed our colors to the mast. We don't need to preach to defend the church. We don't need to preach to point people's sins out. We preach the good news. Proclaim that which has happened. It is done. It is finished. We get to believe that this morning.